険がないようにこのシーンを中心にしたなんだろう僕にはわからないんだ You took your green drink soon One of the greatest animated films of all time. If this situation gets out of hand, that needs to be terminated. So many will die. Damn it! It ain't fair, Tetsuo! Fight with your bare hands! <laughs> hey everyone! Welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on. I invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you become by subscribing on Patreon. Do it! Do it. Wow, really forceful this week. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting more aggressive with yeah, it. Yeah, all right. Well, <laughs> thanks. Uh, we decide on all the official <laughs> ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. D- do not sue us for harassment. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, speaking of which, oh crap, I didn't even open this up. God, I'm so unprepared. We do have a bunch of new patrons to thank this week. Oh, yeah. I um, appreciate you. Yeah, thanks so much for, for doing that when you guys come on. But uh, So not only do you guys get an on-air shout-out, you guys get two bonus episodes every single month, which we've been doing for over a year, so there's lots of bonus episodes waiting for you guys back there if you haven't mm-hmm. made the jump yet. Uh, but, speaking of which, I got some patrons to name and shame this week. That's right. <laughs> uh, we got Dylan Bordell. Dylan. I don't remember if I, if I shouted him out last week or not, but I, it doesn't really matter. Welcome again, Dylan, yes. or welcome for the first time. <laughs> uh, Daniel Dylan, who was a patron before, but who has made his way back. Oh, we appreciate so, it. Daniel, welcome back. We really appreciate that. Uh, Poonan. Thanks so much. I'm not sure if that's your that that's your real name or for, we've had a lot of fake signups, so I'm kind of yeah. di- I'm kind of distrustworthy of everyone, no matter how <laughs> yeah. legit your name sounds. Uh, same goes for Jay McDu- McDougal or McDougal. Uh, we appreciate you, but please tell us if that's your real name or not. Uh, Josh Rosenfield, friend of the show, guest oh, yeah, of the show, Josh. he finally hey. made the the uh, uh, the pledge this week. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, five five new patrons. Thank uh, you guys so in the much. Last two weeks. So welcome to the show. Thanks for getting all those bonus episodes and hanging out with us. We appreciate you guys. What is the other plug? iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, yes. pretty much uh, Spotify. We're on now. Yeah, we're on every podcast platform. Uh, so if there's anything you want us to be on that we're not on, yell at us. But also yes. search for us first because I'm pretty sure we're already there. Yeah. And if you guys are listening be. on iTunes, a good old rating and review. Uh, over there helps us uh, out. will help us find new listeners. So if you haven't given us a rating and review on iTunes, make sure to go over there and do that. We appreciate that as well. All right, those are your plugs. I'm Josh, Josh Lewis, your host. And and with me... Yeah, Jamie, <laughs> I'm Jamie Miller. Yeah, I'm just anticipating. Yeah, yeah, I'm he's, he's waiting for it. All right. <laughs> Jamie Miller's here with me as well. Uh, might not sound like me because I have a incredibly sore throat right now. So I'm, I'm pretty sick over here, but I'm powering through because that's the yeah. podcaster life. We almost did an ASMR... Uh, you know, yeah, episode, I was, but I was thinking just to make the episode a little bit better, I'd just get it a little closer. <laughs> I'd be like, hi guys, welcome. Welcome, welcome to the Sleezoids podcast. <laughs> a whole week of ASMR. If that's what you guys want, we'll pivot. Yeah, yeah. We're willing to do it. <laughs> but uh, welcome to another episode. Yes. Uh, I think two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys, free listeners, would have heard from us and we would have had uh, Michelle Swope. Yeah. Fucking nailed it. Nailed not on it. not on the episode where no. it mattered, <laughs> no. but I nailed it this time. Got it this time. Michelle Swope, 
uh, a, a, a horror uh, writer and reporter for Dread Central and and other horror-based uh, websites. She brought on her two occult neo-noir films, a very niche subgenre of yeah. both the neo-noir and the occult film that mixes both genres to interesting ends. Uh, Angel Heart, 1987, directed by Alan Parker, starring a young Mickey Rourke. Uh, yeah, unrecognizable and, Mickey Rourke. <laughs> and Robert De Niro doing his best Martin Scorsese impression while also playing the devil. Yep. Good shit. Uh, really, really wild bat shit. Uh, neo-noir that goes full sort of uh, descent into hell uh, and we paired it with the more kind of baffling and troubling yes. 1999 film The Ninth Much Gate slower as well yeah directed <laughs> by Roman Polanski and starring Johnny Depp which was kind of uh, more more campy and slower and absurd yeah. uh, and not campy in like a lot of the fun ways no there, there are moments for sure I, I had fun at times but overall I was pretty uh, pretty bored but yes, it's 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 kind of like uh, Angel Heart meets The Da Vinci Code, and I'm not <laughs> sure that necessarily those things mix too well, but we had fun talking about it regardless. So that was two weeks ago. If you haven't heard that episode, it's for free listeners. It's on all the podcast listeners of choice. Go back and listen to that one. Uh, but last week, for patrons, you guys got your special bonus episode, and that was on Altered States. I believe yeah. 1985. I think I am, so. I think that's Uh-oh. right. Uh oh. I <laughs> don't, don't know remember. What I'm doing here. Uh, but directed by a uh, friend of the show, I'm going to call him Ken Russell <laughs> yeah. because we just we we love this guy. Everything we've talked about, yeah, we're real we, close with Ken. Yeah, we're we're, we're digging it. Uh, and his own sort of psychedelic, uh, vaguely body horrorish, uh, yeah, exploration of of the. The primordial man, it seems, was kind of what was on on the line for that one. We had a real good time dissecting that one and talking about it. And also, we paired it with Tetsuo, the Iron Man, Shinya Tsukamoto's uh, 1989, I believe, his feature debut. Raw, metallic horror. Yeah, just like a complete uh, 16-millimeter frenzy of, of, of absolute Non-stop. flesh like and steel. Just, there's we no had a great time. time. And I think I was, uh, I forgot to mention it, but patron and friend of the show, Perry Rulland, actually pitched that episode to us when we were taking recommendations. Oh, really? Which leads us directly into this week's episode where yes. we have Perry on this week. Uh, Howdy. How you doing, Perry? I'm doing. I'm doing pretty good. How about y'all? Good. Oh, uh, we're Thanks doing for good. You know us. Perry's a longtime listener and a friend of the show, uh, and uh, himself d- digs deep into trash and regressive cinema in all its <laughs> forms. Uh, as as both a freelance critic and a uh, sort of, I, I want to say you're doing some low budget filmmaking of your own recently, right? Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm in the last stages of pre production on a feature in a. We're going to cameras in a few weeks, so a horrifying, exciting time. Yeah, that's Very awesome. Very exciting. Well, Perry's been a longtime listener and is a fan of all things uh, sleaze, so <laughs> he seemed right to bring on the show. And with you, uh, since we did your recommended episode for the patron episode last week, yeah. and I think your episode kind of actually kind of pivots off of that. So as always, Perry, we ask you to bring two films. So what two films have you brought with you and why have you paired them together? Um, well, the two films I brought today are Akira, the 1988 film by, uh, I can never pronounce the name right, uh, 
Katsuhiro Otomo. Katsuhiro Otomo. Nailed it. Uh, and then Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer, which is a pseudo-remake of the first Tetsuo from 1992, also directed by Shinya Tsukamoto. Um, and I picked these two films because they are great examples of one of my favorite really niche subgenres and movements, which is like late 80s, early 90s Japanese cyberpunk, which has brought us some of the wildest movies. I mean, the first Tetsuo came from that. Um, this horrifying, beautiful underground movie called 964 Pinocchio came from that. Uh, and you get anime series like Armored Trooper Votums or Mobile Police Patlabor, or later you get um, Ghosts in the Shell. Like You get lots of really great strange influential sci-fi works are coming from japan this time uh and i paired these two films together because they are the two well the first tetsuo is probably like the biggest one for me but i mean akira is just one of the great sci-fi films and tetsuo 2 body hammer goes along with that better than than uh, the first tetsuo does because it's more of an action tinged almost paul verhoeven-y uh, sort of more straightforward action film than the first Tetsuo's kind of art house freak out. Right. Yeah. It's very interesting how those uh, stylistically differentiated themselves from one movie to the next. I guess when you're yeah. doing a reimagining, that's what you do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. An, an interesting idea for a sequel. And I was uh, glad to have watched the first Tetsuo films for the first time just last year, getting ready for Shinya Tsukamoto's new film that hit the festival circuit last year, Killing, which uh, you said I, it was oh, really yeah, yeah I, I mentioned on oh. uh, our best of list. It was my number two or number three of the right, year that I right. saw last year. I, I still got to see that. It's incredible. I really hope it gets proper North American distribution because I saw like a festival screener and it blew me away. Like uh, Tsukamoto is already kind of my favorite living director, so I'm a bit biased. But <laughs> holy crap, that is incredible filmmaking. Yeah, and a, a, a completely original uh, style, stylistic take anyway on the kind of Ronin uh, uh, samurai picture. Um, mm-hmm. and cool. I mean, only done in the style that he knows how to do, which is very, uh, sexually repressed, very, <laughs> uh, uh, insanely violent. Um, and very, very cool film to see. But anyway, I think we're, cause, because now, uh, we're going to be jumping into back into the eighties. We just did Tetsuo 89. Very interesting to see, uh, this, I, I got to find out what was happening in Japan at the time. Maybe when yeah. we get into it, Perry, you can tell us a little bit on Japanese history because Japan was having some uh, psychotic breakdown in the sure late seems 80s. Like it, yeah. And it was really, it led to some great art. And we're going to talk about two <laughs> yeah. of those major ones uh, today. Uh, so with that being said, I think we're going to jump right into it. We're going to talk uh, Akira. All right, so we are talking Akira, the uh, 1988 uh, Japanese anime, sort of post-apocalyptic cyberpunk film uh, directed by, uh, I I believe Perry just said, I'm going to go off Perry's thing, (laughs) Katsuhiro Otomo? Yeah. There we go. (laughs) Nailed it. We're getting better at this. Yes. Um, And I believe adapted from Otomo's own 
manga series mm-hmm. that, yeah, he, that, so. that he was still releasing at the time. That so he, he made, made the, the manga series and directed the That's film. Yes. Awesome. Cause that doesn't uh, happen a lot. Right. I, I imagine no. most of the time people take from the source and then. Yes. It's sort, it's sort of, they're, they're typically treated like adaptations, like novel right. adaptations. It's, it's yeah. very, it's not too often that, uh, not like it would make sense if he got to sort of like write the draft of the screenplay. Right, yeah. A lot of them don't get the chance to actually direct. Yeah, um, yeah. So very, so very cool that, awesome. that he was able to direct his own uh, manga adaptation of the same name. And I believe at the time, it was also the most expensive anime film ever <clears throat> uh, produced. Wow. Yeah. So uh, they, they, they really let him go crazy out the gate. Yeah. And two pretty amazing results. We got to confess pretty oh, early gorgeous. on here. Yeah. It had, um, yeah. It had the equivalent of a $9 million budget, which for an animated film that isn't like, you know, a big Disney release, that's a... A pretty big deal. And I mean, as I'm sure we'll talk about later, it shows. Uh, but uh, yeah, Otomo directed this while he was still writing the manga, uh, which if you guys haven't read, it's highly recommended uh, as just wild, inventive uh, pulp storytelling. But the manga is in a much larger scale than the anime is. Like it goes way beyond the stuff we see in the in the movie. Uh, and it's just as intricately detailed and drawn. And he was doing that while directing this movie. And I have no idea how he was able to balance that. Right, like, 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 like he was still working on the manga while directing yes. the film. That's incredibly impressive. <laughs> do, do you know if this uh, is, is the film like separate from the manga in the sense of like, is he taking that stuff that he's already written or is this a new story for the manga, but it's a movie form? Uh, a bit of both. Okay. Uh, it's a loose adaptation. Okay. So like, it's a six-volume manga. This is a loose adaptation of the first two volumes. Okay. The The ending of the movie is pretty similar to the ending of the manga, but also there's lots of stuff that in the manga that just never happens. And we'll, we'll talk about that later because it's interesting <laughs> okay. uh, comparison. Very cool. Sure. Well, largely, Akira is set uh, uh, in a dystopian 2019 future yeah. very yeah. cool great great time very to well timed yeah i mean for jamie and i this is the first time watch i've been meaning to get this yeah. off my watch list for a really long time i mean i pre-bought the blu-ray like probably like sometime last year knowing eventually we were going to do this film at some point uh so i've been waiting to get around to this film not knowing that it takes place in in 2019 in <laughs> yeah. neo tokyo yeah, and something pretty scary about that is it takes place in 2019 with the 2020 Neo Tokyo Olympics happening, and yeah. you know the Olympic Games 2020 in Tokyo. So yeah, <laughs> that freaks so, me out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, because because in 2019 they're in the process of building the stadium, correct? Mm-hmm. In the in yeah the, in the film. Whereas next next year they're gonna actually have have it, yeah. have it. so oh, wow. very scary time. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm sure they're getting a lot of uh, anxiety out of that over there, uh, but uh, largely, the film uh, follows a the the sort of aftermath of a. Uh, it's, it's sort of implied that it's some sort of cosmic singularity event. The imagery does evoke the hydrogen bomb yeah. um, in, in, in its destructiveness um, and in its suddenness um, and sort of the, the kind of national psychic collapse that kind of happened due to that power and that violent display. 
uh, and the uh, attempts to build over the horrors of the past and build a new sort of futuristic cityscape on on top of that. And we got to say right off the bat, I mean, obviously the form here is incredible. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've, I've seen, you know, I mean, because of this film, the 90s uh, was in, in American TV, especially, was populated by a lot of uh, anime shows. Yeah. Uh, so I watched my fair amount of anime shows, like not a lot, but I've watched, you know, six or seven full anime shows and I've read yeah. mangas before. And the only reason I was introduced to them um, was because of Americans latching on to how popular they had grown. And obviously this film was a huge part of that. So to go back and kind of watch the original artwork with these like really expressive colors, these like really huge purples and reds and yellows, uh, and to see the kind of tangible, dilapidated futurism detail uh, that obviously yeah. would have been uh, unique to itself, but also in the realm of something like a Blade Runner, yeah. um, that that, that sort sure. of sci-fi futurism, but also uh, in in combination with like a score that is sometimes really uh, sometimes it's bare, like just clanking drumsticks, and yeah. at other times it's like it's it's fu- like full nightmare fuel. Uh, yeah. uh, so I mean like to go back and watch this for the first time I was pretty flabbergasted on just like a moment to moment kinetic composition detail level yeah. I was just flabbergasted by the artwork itself and, not and, like, and, and I'm just saying this before we get into the craziness that actually unfolds in terms of story yeah. and narrative yeah. because uh, we, gotta, we gotta mention this up front I think yeah. and something that's uh, you were mentioning the score it, what I found incredible about it is what you've just think is going to be the score with these kind of movies is more like, you know, like a lot of synth heavy stuff. I was expecting a lot of Blade Runner and that was not the case. Yeah. (laughs) Stuff like that. And instead, like there's quite a lot of like vocal chants and almost, uh, tribal drums and things like that. It's very, uh, that reminded me of the anime shows I watched. (laughs) Tokyo, you know, it was a very, uh, it was a weird contrast, but a very cool one. And it works very well. There's one, I mean, the soundtrack's one of my favorites of all time. There's one particular music cue that happens when uh, when Tetsuo, who we'll introduce him soon, uh, when he starts going crazy, it's like this synth organ wail. And it's one of the most stunning sounds I've heard on a soundtrack. There's no instrument that sounds like it. Like it's just this da da da. I don't sound like it. I but think you know. I know what you're. No, but you're I know exactly about, what you're yeah. saying because, because it sounds like notes. an organ. Yeah, yeah. It's. And I remember horrifying. putting in my notes though. What, what is that? Because I'm I'm a musician, so I, I I like to when I'm listening to scores. I like to if if it's a weird sound, I'd like to try to figure out where that's coming from. You know how yeah. they're doing that. And there were certain <laughs> moments in this movie with the score where I was pretty flabbergasted. I was like, "What are they using for this?" It's it's really well, yeah, and, and how consistently it like changes throughout the film. Yeah, like absolutely. there's so many different kinds and it's still of sounds. Cohesive with with uh, each score. It's, it's kind of like an evolving score as which yeah. which is very suitable to the to the film as it kind of shifts oh, yeah. from from moment to moment. Because when we kind of get started in the film, uh, we get introduced to. Um, the, the the sort of lead characters here, these the, these two orphans who have sort of uh, become surrogate brothers in this sort of wasteland of Neo Tokyo. They are part of a biker gang, and uh, very cool bikes, obviously oh, yeah. very Tron like bikes. Uh, yeah. And they 
uh, I, we're kind of introduced to them in a bar setting where where they are trying to take on what seems like a a worse biker gang who are all yeah. dressed like clowns. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. the clowns. Uh, <laughs> yes, very creepy clowns. And there's an immediate kind of uh, lived in universe that it that it establishes that we just kind of get immediately dropped into, but also a kind of larger uh, a- anxiety of the sort of like post 1970s industrial Japan. And obviously the setting itself has that kind of technophobic cityscape feel yeah. to it that we kind of get a little bit also in in uh, Sukamoto's Tetsuo films. And obviously they're living in a post-nuclear reality. Um, And very quickly we get introduced to kind of all these different moving parts. You get introduced to a kind of uh, overpowered government officials, both in military capacity and corrupt officials. Uh, And obviously the sort of violent anti-authority reaction to that. Uh, And also these weird weird (laughs) childlike little men kind of like running around with little child voices who have (laughs) psychic capabilities and who are being uh, uh, systematically uh, broken out of government facilities where it's implied that they are being sort of like experimented on and tested on. Um, And so we're kind of introduced all of this in one set piece. Yeah. Yeah, It's like within the first 15 minutes, you're you're just thrown all zero to 100. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the first, yeah, it's the first ten minutes, and it is like some of the greatest ten minutes in the f- in film in general, in Absolutely. my opinion. Like the opening sequence of this is, if you know anything about Kira, it's probably like the the bikes going down the the like um, Bosuzoku uh, street gang wars, yes. and that's all just like the first ten minutes, and they are stunning, and they deliver like the cell character dynamics really naturally. And they set up all different moving parts, like the underground resistance cell, uh, the state of the world, the, the psychics, the military, and all these like other characters who will show up later are just like really smoothly inserted into this big set piece. It's beautiful. It's incredible. Yeah. Right. And then you're, you're immediately introduced to kind of like the supernatural abilities of, of these sort of, uh, uh, psychic characters who are sort of like government lab rats um, and also the kind of brutal military reaction to any kind of revolt or any kind of question of their yeah. power uh, when we get a resistance figure who just broke one out of the out of the lab uh, just gunned down horrifyingly yeah uh, and the amount of blood and and sort of like explosive behavior. I mean, like this movie just kicks off like an explosion itself, and yeah. then it throws you right into the yeah. Chaos. You're introduced to like just like this really powerful government violence, um, and then you're immediately kind of like, oh yeah, okay, I I understand where we are uh, <laughs> yeah. in in this moment, and it's pretty horrifying. Yeah, it's it's important you mentioned the the brutality of it because the violence in this movie every time it, it horrifies me like it is mm-hmm. a nasty movie uh, i always think of it's a movie that uh jonathan rosenbaum uh famously gave like one star i believe uh and in his one <laughs> paragraph rosenbaum, long my god yeah, in his one paragraph long review, he says, uh, grade school violence freaks may find a few kicks here, but even they may have trouble coping with this ugly movie's ending. It's like, oof, <laughs> come on, man. 
because yeah, it, it is a horrifying movie in a lot of ways. Like oh, the, yeah. the action in it is just nasty. OJ Rosenbaum. I actually met that guy once at the Toronto International Film Festival. He was at a he was at a party, at a, at a critics party, and he was there talking about John Ford when <laughs> when I got there. And three hours later, he was talking about John Ford when I left. <laughs> so, <I was> like, <laughs> so you assume it was three hours of John Ford. <laughs> yes, that's just kind of what I gathered. And I was like, that sounds like Jay Rosenbaum. Uh, <laughs> but bad take on Akira, man. I would have called yeah. him out on it if I had known that that was his review and if I had seen the movie at the time. <laughs> but at, kind of quickly after we're introduced to all these different these different elements, we're introduced to the sort of um, brotherly gang. We're introduced to a sort of anti-government resistance group. And then we have, obviously, the, the military and the officials and their lab rats. Um, and things get kind of kicked into the next gear when Tetsuo who is kind of the sort of smaller, weaker member of the gang, yeah, or at least seems sees to himself that on, way. Um, He's the underdog. He crashes headfirst and explodes into one of the, uh, I, I forget what they call them. What do they, what do they call the uh, experimented uh, psychics? Espers. Espers, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. He crashes into one, the one that has been sort of uh, tried to but be... Loose let loose by, yeah, by the resistance group. And because of that, his gang is brought to jail. Uh, he is taken into the lab and it seems that either the collision with, uh, the Esper has either awakened something in him or there was something there the entire time. And it's kind of unclear, but as the movie progresses, Tetsuo starts to pick up on the psychic abilities of one mysterious Akira figure, who it is implied was the cause of the original singularity that destroyed Tokyo uh, and set off World War III and resulted in the sort of uh, Neo-Tokyo where they have tried to build over top of the ashes of that singularity without actually kind of addressing maybe why that singularity happened in the first place. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> instead, they've just tried to rebuild that same corrupt society on top of it and been like, this should work. Yeah. Uh, and needless <laughs> to say, the movie opens with it not working. Uh, yeah. yeah. One particular scene that I thought was, it kind of re- uh, was reminiscent of uh, The Exorcist a little bit, which oh, is yeah. when he's in, uh, Tetsuo's in the machine in the hospital. Oh, like and it's the like, sort of medical it's horror. Around. It's yeah. a huge machine. I was actually like tense. And it, it, that was pretty horrific to me just because... You know, it seems like technology has been a, a huge part of, of uh, yeah. the destruction of uh, Japan here. And, you know, what we were talking about with Tetsuo, uh, the Iron Man, and things like that, there was a big fear with technological advancement. So just to see that scene, <laughs> and he's in this middle of a thing knowing, like, he has no control. You know yeah. what I mean? You can tell just by the way it's a, this giant mechanized... Uh, uh, thing so I, I thought that that was pretty horrific well yeah because when they picked him up they pick all his friends and they put them in jail and they're just there's kind of like this funny sequence where they're just like okay so you're saying you got attacked by clowns and you were attacking the clowns <laughs> and that's why you're here yeah. and they're just like yeah dude like that's what happened or whatever it's like well and, have you looked outside shit's crazy yeah right and now. they were just like okay well i mean i guess you can go uh <laughs> but and but but meanwhile tetsuo is being um uh, immediately stripped of any any kind of rights or anything like that. There's yeah. no screening process. He is now just being experimented on. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure. Do By they, the, uh, Perry? You might know. Commander. Do they do they inject him with anything, or do they just kind of like uh, observe given, him? 
he's given capsules which are theoretically supposed to keep his powers in check or just sort of experiment with his powers, but they uh the capsules sort of go out of control with him and he starts overdosing on the capsules and his powers eventually just become really freaky. Yeah. Because he has some sort of connection to this sort of mythological, supposedly kind of like ancient Akira figure, which is sort Mm -hmm. of this more sort of transcendent being that we don't really fully understand and is sort of considered kind of a neutral figure of, of great power that people can either sort of abuse. And I mean, we'll kind of see as we get into the big climax and finale of the film, how that all gets kind of addressed, but it's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, And then why like is, the protagonist of the film, uh, Kaneda, the deal with him is that he's just kind of like a normal teenage punk and he accidentally stumbles into these conspiracies because when he's let out of jail, uh, he he decides that there's a, a girl there called Kay who was working with the resistance cell that let out the Esper in the first place. And he basically lets her, says, oh, she's with us. She can be let go out of jail with us uh, just so that he can impress her and then hit on her. Like, he's just sort of accidentally uh, finding these great conspiracies. All he really cares about is just, you know, being with his bike gang and stopping the damn clowns and ditching school. And it's interesting how that, how his perspective never really changes, even when things eventually get kind of uh, apocalyptic. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of just like a teenage punk. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but but he's got he's got like a like a solid heart. Like he wants to protect his friends and he wants to maybe he wants to get laid, maybe he wants yeah. to, you know, knock out some some violent thugs, you know, whatever he wants to do. Just unfortunately um, he has to also deal with a incredibly fascist government all at the same time. It, yes. <laughs> it's not and, what you want to deal with while you're Hitting puberty, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Trying to well, get those and, and then, I mean, they, uh, as this, uh, the, the sort of larger uh, government conspiracies unfold, it gets into a more sort of cosmic reality of, 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 of power and weapons in general. Yeah. Um, and uh, especially because, I mean, and I, I got to say, I was quite shocked actually at how emotional this ends up getting. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't expect that of the film out of the early scenes. Um, but the sort of relationship between Kanada uh, or Canada and Tetsuo ends up being kind of like the heart of the movie. Yeah. And you watch as power kind of corrupts Tetsuo. Um, and it's actually really, really heartbreaking because, you know, Canada very quickly goes from this sort of young teenage boy who's kind of like learned to, you know, th- there's very sort of important gross things happening around him, but you yeah. know, he's not really politically activated by any means. Right. Right. Um, th- the same way that, uh, say sort of like the anti-government groups are. Yeah. Um, and he sort of falls in with them by happenstance, as Perry mentioned, not because he believes in the cause or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then when he ends up falling in with them even deeper, it's because it's out of personal reasons. It's out of, to save Tetsuo because he's like now someone I, I cherish and someone I want to protect is one of the espers that they are locking in the facility. So I should help try and break them out as well. Right. Um, which is really important that his emotional attachment to this kind of journey, because that really powers the climax of the film, which is, um, very much, uh, I want to say it's, it's as horrifying as it is, as it eventually is weirdly hopeful. Um, yeah. Uh, (laughs) yeah, no, the, 
I mean, we'll talk more about the ending when we get to it again, but the ending of this movie is just, I, I don't know what I could possibly say about it. It's great. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, maybe, maybe we'll kind of angle towards it a little bit. We'll kind of set up getting yeah. there. Cause I mean, yeah. the, the main thrust of the movie is Tetsuo is sort of, uh, having interesting, uh, awakenings, uh, yeah, psychic awakenings, having visions and, he's having yeah. visions. He's having, I mean, there's, there, there's an image where it goes completely silent and he just watches his own entrails fall out yeah. Uh, yeah. while he's having images that seem to be happening, um, of, of the Akira figure from before his time, but also images of what we eventually see in the, in the climax. So he's getting images of the future. Um, and it's awakening these, uh, telekinetic abilities inside of him that the other espers have, uh, that seem even more powerful than the sort of trained espers have, um, who have been, uh, as we see kind of later in the film were, uh, awakened intentionally through government action and taken as children. They sort of observe children who might've had these abilities and kind of, and I mean, that that's kind of where you get them stuck as these, these children that even though they've right. aged, they're sort of stuck in this kind of childlike innocence because they never really grew up past that point. Um, yeah. which is, which leads to some great imagery of, you know, them like and their young children, but with wrinkles and, you know, yeah, well, and, and, and also their sort of childhood items, like their teddy bears right. and stuff, which they end up sort of mutilating into these sort of like techie flesh objects. And they're, like they're actually intelligent because they're not technically children, you know, but yeah. they look and sound like, well, them, and, so. and the three espers are terrified of Tetsuo because they see him as a, a figure that could be just as powerful as Akira was, um, right. and who could unleash another destructive singularity, um, which, you know, they obviously don't want to see all that death and destruction happen again. Just, uh, I mean, I, I guess it would have only been 20 or 30 years ago. So yeah. a lot of people still remember still fresh, it. Still yeah. fresh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what I think is really interesting is as uh, as Kaneda sort of falls into the, the fold with Kay, uh, who's the... Uh, like the the girl in the resistance and we sort of learn more about the politics we see bits of people arguing in parliament about what to do with the psychics and we see stuff like a colonel who's playing a coup and you get all this intrigue but then as they infiltrate where tetsuo is being kept the genre of the movie or i would say the genre but the scope of the movie really expands because that's when tetsuo starts to get control of his powers uh, and starts using them to break out, which involves killing a whole lot of people. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's especially when the animation just comes into its own to show some really wild things. Like, he uses psychic powers to rip people apart and, like, create some sort of invisible force field that expands the shape of a room where there's like craters being dug into walls and ceilings and floors. When he starts to actually grow like arms and on arms and arms and he's just consuming people through his skin and it's like, Oh, it's yeah. It's yeah. Eventually he gets there. Yeah. He goes (laughs) really far. Yeah. Very rock and roll Tetsuo. Yeah. Uh, Um, but yeah, the, uh, they try to perform this big facility breakout where they're going in the underground sewers and there's a lot of uh, uh, people who get uh, killed and shot in there as well. There's a lot of death going on here. Yeah, um, and some what- of them, like, there's a lot of deaths where it's it's it just like the machines themselves just kind of crushing them. You know, like it's it's not a like I remember the scientist he yeah. dies because the the machinery and I can't remember why it does, but it starts to just like expand. Well, to that, the that, point that, where that, it that I think them. is when the singularity happens for the oh, second okay. time. Right. Right. 
Um, and but the the big showdown that kind of happens is that Tetsuo. He's getting a little high on his own supply. <laughs> he's like, finally. And I mean, it makes sense because he's been a character who's always been picked on. He's been a character yeah. who's always felt that he needs to be taken care of. And he's feeling power and control and unfortunately, for the first this time. Is like the first time and the amount of power that he's experiencing for the first time is just it, it is a overwhelming. It's yeah. a lot of power and a, the kind of power that scares the shit out of people, including the, the espers who kind of share uh, yeah. in some of his power, but not as much as he has. Um, and there's a really heartbreaking moment where Kanata, you know, breaks in with the resistance being like, we're going to get you out of here, Tetsuo. And he's like, I've already fucking killed everyone. Like, <laughs> I'm good, dog. Like, yeah. <laughs> how about I save your ass now? Uh, and he gets, he gets like pretty, pretty crazy as he starts just uh, murdering the shit out of people. And then for some reason, I... I wasn't sure exactly why he knew where Akira's body was, but why is he looking for Akira's body? Because uh, he has a psychic link with Akira. Uh, because Akira is the one who's giving him the images. And basically, the way I took it is he believes that if he finds Akira, he can get Akira's guidance to get to his power. Right. Uh, which, as we see, is kind of a, a lost cause. <laughs> right. Well, because he's he so he's kind of seeing himself as kind of like an evolving being. Yeah. And he wants to reach mm -hmm. the next stage. And he sees Akira as like that way that that entryway there. Yeah. yeah. Which which makes sense. And it leads to some really cool imagery as he goes to the sort of construction site of the Japanese Olympic Stadium, mm -hmm. where, I mean, obviously, you know, we're we're getting into. Um, even even more political and corporate realm as they are literally building uh, a uh, Olympic stadium over top of the corpse of oh, yeah. the being that uh, destroyed Tokyo in the first place in the singularity, <laughs> right. literally trying to cover up the horrors of the past with like this new flashy uh, <laughs> thing that they're going to build. Um, and he exhumes Akira's body, which has just uh, been mutilated into pieces and uh, kept uh, frozen so that for, for future um, sort of scientific endeavors. Uh, because obviously, again, the government uh, in, in their sort of... Uh, <laughs> they want to get rid of the problem, but not totally, just in case. Yeah, well, they were like, wow, that hugely powerful thing that like wiped out our society. Our entire, yeah. I mean, maybe instead of trying to figure out why that happened or destroy it. Yeah. We're just going to keep it and experiment on it and see maybe how we might be able to harness that power. Yeah. Uh, Give us some advantages. And that, that's what it ends up being that the, the, the sort of experiments on the espers are, and also uh, former tests that they used on the body of the literal corpse of, of Akira. Uh, I wanted to mention the uh, like the war path that Tetsuya rages from the uh, the storage facility that he's at to the Olympic Stadium. There's another set piece where the scale and the effort that went to, went to everything is wild because there are like full blown riots and like skirmishes yeah. you see where every single person is individually animated and well, you yeah. see masses of people like falling off bridges and. Just think of how long that took. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and then they introduced the religious fanatics who are like really into bringing yeah. Akira round two. Yeah. Like yeah. they're they're calling for the apocalypse. Uh, in the manga, by the way, those people, there's like an entire volume of like 300 pages devoted to them. Just the protesters? And people hanging out with them. Yeah, well... Yeah, just the... Uh, the 
the like doomsday cult people oh, okay uh, yeah. kind of hangs out with them for a while that's awesome. Yeah, well, it's pretty amazing watching kind of like all of this stuff you could see him expand on, but mm-hmm. watching it just as like subtle detail yeah. to like a, a to really- just build a world. Yeah, to yeah. just like yeah. a, a sort of shortened, trimmed down um, uh, story like this. It, it just makes everything feel alive. Because like oh, yeah. I could see why yeah. a whole so volume yeah. on those guys would be interesting, but just the fact that they're there yeah. and that I can implicitly- see a larger universe where those people have their own story without it. Absolutely. Uh it is is really one of the huge pleasures of this film because there's so yeah. many layers to this city. Yeah, it's um, so rich. B- both in the writing and especially the 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 visual detail and design um of of Neo Tokyo itself. Mm-hmm. Uh and all these different factions that he whether they're minorly introduced or they're expanded upon, um just really do bring Neo Tokyo to 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 life. No, yeah, for sure. It's a, uh, it's great visual storytelling. It's great, really subtle storytelling, and I I like the manga a lot. But honestly, I like the I prefer the more streamlined version in this movie. Mm. So I think it, it just it still works great. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, maybe the only interest I think I would have maybe in in reading the manga, other than as its own sort of material itself, I would be interested in it. Oh yeah, would be finding out maybe more detail about what kind of what goes down in this climax, because I will say it's very, very cool. And I, I really liked it, but I would be curious on what the sort of detailed explanation behind a lot of it was because, because uh, I I do think that it works in this specifically as something that you more feel. And I think the way that he develops Tetsuo and Canada and their, their relationships with each other and how this all gets really, really out of hand, especially in terms of the imagery as Jamie kind of already alluded to with, with Tetsuo going full, uh, fleshy machine yeah. and full yeah. sort of like amoeba blob horror creature uh, as, as he starts to expand and lose control. He even has a yeah. great line that a really sad line actually, where he says, uh, my body's not doing what, what I tell it to. And he says it in this like yeah. really like almost like a scream. Um, yeah. And it's, it, it kind of gets to the heart of what body horror f- is fucking scary. We've talked about it before yeah. when we talk about Cronenberg it's, stuff. It's but this, the lack of control. The lack of control over your own body is, is a scary yeah. idea just yeah. to consider. And I, I think, think that that's where, like, where I was talking about him being, uh, the, like, the first part where Tetsuo is just in the, the mechanical yeah. machine in the hospital. It's that, like that, that you the kind of felt that early on. moment yeah. of that fear, yeah. And because uh, during, there are like two final fights. There's the big climactic crazy one, but before that, uh, Kaneda and Tetsuo sort of square down and uh, Tetsuo gets his arm shot off by a laser and using his psychic powers he rebuilds it as like this metal arm. Yeah, uh, well, and it gets shot by like an orbital drone yeah, an orbital almost, laser. right? That, that's which, what it is? Yeah, which he then, yeah, the, the military sees them fighting and shoots down a laser and then he flies into space and blows it up <laughs> in one of the most like wild images in the movie. Uh, but it's interesting because he, he gets control of his power for just a little bit. And he makes that arm. And he's refastening himself, <laughs> and then it gets out of control. And suddenly, it's like the metal arm is taking over him, uh, and the he becomes like this fleshy metal monstrosity. Yeah, the, the 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 big climax, which which is how it really relates to the the Tetsuo 
uh, Iron Man and Tetsuo Body Hammer uh, films oh, specifically. Yeah. Like that, that, that imagery is very connected where he becomes sort of one with this kind of like um, metallic wiring and kind of like tubing, um, but also his flesh kind of hybrids into it and, and expands and it grows. Um, and the way that it combines with his sort of like psychic powers and, and sort of like pain, you really do like feel that. And you're sort of, you're, you're, I mean, it's pretty cringe inducing when you actually, uh, oh, yeah. watch him slowly start to, uh, expand and eventually they're going, he has grown so powerful. Like he, he's Tetsuo himself is 100% not in control anymore. Yeah. And he yeah. is, he is on the verge of just swallowing, uh, Neo Tokyo and presumably the entire world if he's not stopped. Um, and we're kind of led into, um, a sort of, uh, as, as Canada and, and Tetsuo face off against each other, there's that kind of like brotherly pain of having to, you know, mm-hmm. of, of really caring for someone who is doing immense damage yeah. at first, which that, is the I issue. I think they have a line earlier where they're just like, Tetsuo's our friend, and if anyone's going to kill him, it will be us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, because we'll do it with love. God yeah, because, because Tetsuo <laughs> at first, anyway, is is choosing to sort of do this damage. Yeah. But as he grows in this climax, he is no longer, he wants to turn back and he can't anymore. Right. And you see Tetsuo very horrifyingly actually kill probably the one person he was genuinely interested in, which mm-hmm. is the sort of young girl that mm-hmm. he, he finds earlier in the film. I can't remember her name. Do you remember her name, Perry? Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, the girl Tetsuo's with? Yeah, the one that he ends up squishing uh, yeah. and like popping like a pimple inside of his like fleshy amoeba uh, mask. That, that was <laughs> Kaori, right? Yes, that's who it was. Because yeah. Kai's the resistance. I was thinking Kai, but no, she's the resistance girl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she's but yeah, it's Kaori who like she has like the the only really healthy relationship with one of the other guys is Tetsuo at the start. Yeah. Um, and then and, and, and they yeah. like possibly have plans of like riding out of Neo Tokyo and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's uh it's not meant to be because Tetsuo becomes this horrifying flesh monster. And I find it interesting when you were um we were talking about how uh at first he wants to cause damage, but there's a bit where when he becomes the the flesh monster, uh he's begging for Kaneda to help him. Uh, which I always presumed is him like begging for death from Canada because his his body is just it's torturing him like it's painful for him to expand and yeah no yeah. it definitely and is. at that point it'd be hard for him to actually believe that he could make it through this you yeah. know what I mean yeah well yeah and and especially when he can he he's obviously not in any kind of control over it anymore yeah, because he probably has because no hope the one person he he like had a very he- like a, a a healthy relationship with he pops her like a fucking pimple yeah and then he screams yeah. my body's not doing what I tell it to help me me and he's like screaming at the top of his lungs right and Canada is obviously at this point finally sees Tetsuo again the sort of scared uh yeah person that that he he the wanted to he protect um and this is what uh really drives the finale as the three espers unleash and break out at the peak of uh Tetsuo's power the original Akira yeah and they they welcome him back to the fold. Someone who it, it sounds like they were whether they knew him previously or they were inspired by him or they were told about him or they just psychically felt his presence. They he was, they welcome 
Akira in with knowing arms, knowing that he's going to activate a singularity that will swallow Tetsuo. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and and counteract Tetsuo's sort of am- amoeba-like uh, a desire to eat everything. everything <laughs> path, yeah. And, and you get this great flashback um, that shows all the all the espers, you know, when they were first being experimented on, and like changing the TV and bending spoons and all the stuff that was pretty directly lifted from the Matrix uh, when the Wachowskis made the Matrix, and you see the. Uh, the the kids in I forget her name because it's been a while since the Matrix. Who's the lady in the Matrix who can see like oh, the, the, if someone's the, the Oracle? Yeah, yeah, the Oracle. Oracle. And they're they're doing all when they're uh, like all the Oracle's the kids. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, they're doing all the the stuff that you see the the kids in the Matrix doing or the kids in Akira doing. Uh, and it's just a really beautiful moment for me because it's like after all this chaos and action, you see just a little bit of peace and the big wailing music finally goes away. And it, it's kind of it, just this great bit of melancholy. Well, cause, and, and all of these characters are obviously swallowed by this great white singularity, which obviously evokes like sort of like Hiroshima imagery of, of, of yeah. the nuclear bomb strikes. Um, but also there's a sense that like, there's, there's something else in there and Canada is seeing both because the, the Canada gets swallowed into it, trying to help Tetsuo out of it. Yeah. Uh, because he, he doesn't see Tetsuo as just this giant blob. He sees Tetsuo as the young boy who, who, who he sees as a brother who needs his help. Um, and you see that vision of them meeting and, and that relationship being sparked when he goes in there. And then obviously the three espers are obviously just like, wow, we feel really shitty that like, innocent people are getting caught up in the singularity. We just meant for the blob to get caught up in it. So the espers make this very selfless decision that not one of them could have the power to overpower Akira and Tetsuo, but maybe if all three of them jump in with no plans on getting out of it, maybe they can sort of evolve and find something new. Uh, And they basically use all of their power to get Canada and Kai out of the singularity. Um, and protect the sort of innocence that got caught up in it. And they they sort of imply that there's this sort of like new universe or maybe a new mm-hmm. sort of transcendent something. They've created something new yeah. out of this destruction uh, and maybe something that has the chance of being progress. Um, mm-hmm. That there's... Uh, there, there's Is that uh, where we get that the overhead, the I am Tetsuo? That because uh, that's the very yeah. the very ending yeah. right, is when he's he's mm-hmm. is that mean he's a part of it basically? Yeah, I I always interpret because it ends on uh, jumped ahead a little bit, but it ends with this image of like this white void and like these black shapes forming in it, and then you hear the I am Tetsuo, and I imagine right. that being like Tetsuo's consciousness or his spirit sort of lives on. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're it, seeing. It reminds there. me of Lucy. He's a, he's a goddamn universe now. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of Lucy. Mm-hmm. The end of Lucy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lucy is absolutely Luke Besson. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. We've seen Akira too. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it's just a really beautiful idea because the movie opens on this singularity of destruction, um, mm-hmm. of 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 just pain uh, as Tokyo is destroyed. And then it, it and then it shows you kind of like this this horrifying society that we've built in the ashes of it, 
And then the singularity is activated again because what we've unleashed is almost just <laughs> as bad. To be taken care of. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, because that you know the, the this this sort of like neutral power ends up corrupting people's souls, and it ends up you know, and and even people just like rummaging through the scrapyards of mod modernity, uh, mm. looking for control and power. You know, they they still find ways to abuse it, and they find ways of of letting it loose in ways that it's going to hurt people. Yeah. Um, and we repeat the same image of destruction, but with a completely different tone of something of of, of kind of a hope that we can do better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that maybe if all of us you know kind of put together we all choose to use our abilities to help each other yeah. and we all choose Peace to protect innocence yeah. that maybe maybe there's something that can maybe come out of this small on chance. the opposite side <laughs> and 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 it tells you this while that destruction is still happening we're watching neo tokyo be completely eviscerated watching <laughs> buildings come down people die uh it, it's still horrifying but it's uh -huh. still like Maybe we won't repeat this again. Maybe next it won't time. go down again. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, at the ending, you know, you have uh, Kaneda, K, and then uh, Kaisuke, who's this one member of the gang, and he's like the one other survivor. And Kaisuke is great because he's just the entire movie, he's just this really nice guy. And that's his character. He's just <laughs> nice and pleasant. Um, and they, uh, they see, you know, the destruction uh, and. You know, Kaneda gets on his broken down but still barely holding together motorbike and they, they drive off and like the sun's rising over the ruins. And it's like there's there's something hope isn't lost, you know, Re yeah. rebuilding and rebirth is possible. Which yeah. is nice to see after everything that you see in this film. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, because the, the, everything about it otherwise feels kind of like nihilistic. And I mean, yeah, the, the imagery itself is kind of like decrepit and falling apart. And it, it, its attitudes uh, about political maneuvering and political violence is like incredibly scary. Yeah. Uh, so th to, to have a movie that sees in the face of all that uh, a hope for, I, I, if not a human future – a kind of an evolved being future that right. came from humanity. <laughs> and what, it's, what, it's very interesting. I liked it a lot, actually. Yeah. yeah. What's interesting is comparing that to the ending human. of, Oh no, I, I think it's beautiful. I mean, every, I saw this movie quick aside, but I saw the, um, there's one 35 print of this out here and I saw it, in November, and I went to both showings. I love this movie. I had to, and both times, like at the ending, I cried because I. Had, it's just such a moving. I would kill to see this on a film. Beautiful. Print. Oh, I'd love they, to. Okay, I've seen lots of movies on film. Like I've seen so many different directors and so many movies and so many like pristine prints. And this print of Akira is with no competition the prettiest print I've ever seen. Wow, like awesome. if you can get this print, get this print. It's. If it's showing anywhere in like a a three hour radius of you go because it's rewatching the movie on the Blu-ray, I was like, this is still beautiful, but oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I, I when to. I was reading up about the film, they said that the film consisted of over two thousand different shots. Damn and a yes. hundred and sixty thousand single drawn frames. Yeah. Oh. Uh 
and which they said was at the time, even at the time was two to three more times like than the usual animation. So there's, there's a lot of very intricate detail and, and and shading. Um, and think about this, it seems like every shot, even the things in the background have movement to it. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the time when you see some animes, You'll you'll see the background established, and then they'll have the actual characters do the the movements and stuff. But this every single shot in this film just is rich with with detail and and a, and a, a well, live and, city. And, and I was gonna say especially beautiful. with color too, because while we're oh, mentioning yeah. the frames here, uh, it, it it set the record on the number of frames for an animated film. Oh, uh, yeah. It also set the record for most different colors that appeared in yeah. the palette, which Especially was 327 like, yeah. different colors, yeah. uh, 50 of which created exclusively for the film. Yeah. These motherfuckers wow. invented new colors <laughs> to make there's, this movie. That is art. Holy shit. Like, come there's, the fuck on. Uh, there's a bit That's where the... Uh, where Kaneda's in the, the bike gang, the capsules, uh, where they're back at their high school and then they're they're leaving and then all their girlfriends arrive and they're all hanging out. And each of them, each of like the eight or nine figures in that, in that shot, each has a different skin tone. Wow. <laughs> just yeah. fucking crazy. It just yeah. Went, like, just an absolutely gorgeous film uh, on top of the fact that it's a very interesting narrative and thematic yeah. film regardless. Yeah. Uh, I think, though, we're going to have to start angling towards the reductive rating round <laughs> on this one. This is becoming one of our long ones. We've been really bad at this lately. But Perry, as 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 a listener and friend of the show, I'm sure you know, uh, this is also the closing statement. So if there's anything you haven't had a chance to mention yet or a, a scene <laughs> or an image or whatever, this is also the time where you can do that. But for me, oh my God, this was such an easy five. Yeah. This is yeah. probably one of the best anime uh, films, shows of anything that I've ever seen. Uh, I think that we, we, we talked a lot, obviously, about the sort of like the tangible detail of its cyberpunk futurism just in general, which is completely gorgeous. Uh, the way it lends itself to this sort of like post-nuclear industrial Japan and the way uh, – and I mean, again, I'm just talking about the imagery here and then the way that he uses that and gets you emotionally involved in it and creates what is basically a, a, a near-cosmic spiritual uh, d- d- depiction of, of power, uh, its, it, yeah. it's, its corruptibility. Uh, and and its consequences on 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 people and uh, what we can maybe hope for a a more human uh, or humane future uh, I think is is honestly just in- incredibly powerful and I I immediately no joke I watched this film again today uh, yeah I had, I, had, I had to watch it again nice. uh, I watched it once and I it was so dense and so rich I felt like I missed stuff yeah uh, on I the first watch yeah so I had to go back today and, and and watch it again. Uh, and I was just completely enthralled with it uh, again. And the way that this movie evolves over the course of its film, its its imagery and its score and and its scope in terms of story evolves with its characters. And uh, as they literally uh, expand in terms of body and in in terms of of, of power and uh, in in terms of pain. Um, I, I, I gotta say, I, I pretty much was engrossed by this com- basically beginning to end. So yeah. yeah, easy five for me. Yeah. Uh, me too. I mean, easy five. It was, there wasn't even a question about it yeah. uh, from beginning to end. I was just enthralled. There's this just is, those fives that, you know, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Feel it. One there, of there's a gut feeling where you're yeah. like, you've seen something amazing. Absolutely. Uh, and this is like, this is one of the most gorgeous anime films I've, I've ever seen. Now, granted, I've only seen a few. 
So I, you know, I don't know how you can take. We'll get to that, some more. We'll do Ghost in the Shell in the future. Yeah, that would, yeah. Be great. that would be great. And this, and the, the what's cool about this one too, like I've seen things more along the lines of like fantasy, more like Spirited Away, things like that. This kind of beauty almost comes from like all of the like the revolution and the destruction that's happening. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of dark oh, reds absolutely. and purples and blues and and uh, it, it, it's just it, it's. Uh, hypnotizing um and then the characters are so rich uh even even some of the side ones you feel like even if you don't get to know them you could like they have lives in in the background yeah and it's it's uh it's just an amazing film i can't believe i haven't seen it before (laughs) i definitely heard of it but uh i'm so glad that i got to get this off the watch list um so yeah i'm gonna give it a five and for you perry I mean, uh, yeah, I, mean yeah, I, th- I think we I know. Mean, I think we know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite films of all time. Might be in like my top five, if not my certainly my top 10. It's nice. something I can watch endlessly uh, for it's a movie that I, I kind of know by heart. So when I was for this episode, I was just going, oh, I'm just going to throw it on in the background. rewatch watch it while I finish up this paper. And then I made the mistake of throwing on Akira in the background because next thing <laughs> I know, I'm completely engrossed. And ah, shit, I got to pause and come back to this because – you put this movie on TV. It's like what uh, Guillermo del Toro calls like a, a a one sock movie. You know, you're putting on your socks and then you're putting on your shoes to step outside, and the movie's on TV, and then you just sit there with your one sock on for the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's like that. Absolutely, it's beautiful. And even if like you wouldn't, even if you had the the volume off, you just want to watch the thing. You know, like it's oh, just yeah. every frame is just absolutely gorgeous and colorful and and rich with detail. It's just like you wouldn't even have to watch it with audio, and you'd still be mesmerized. Yeah, and also you wouldn't even have to watch it. I mean, I just listen to the soundtrack <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely doing that. I'm I am listening to the to the score as soon as I get home yeah. tonight. So awesome. Good move. All right. Well, that will wrap it up for Akira. 1988, directed by... Oh, my God. My, I, I already lost his name. Katsuhiro Tomo. There it is. Got it. Beautiful movie. And we're going to be right back, and we're going to be talking about Tetsuo 2, Body Hammer. Body Hammer. Uh, which, uh, for any patrons out there, we just talked Tetsuo the Iron Man last week. So we're talking the sequel. Yes. Right now. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. All right, we are back and we are talking Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer, 1992 Japanese cyberpunk body horror film. Uh, I'm assuming written and directed by Shinya Tsukamoto. Uh, written, directed, edited, and partially <laughs> shot by Shinya Tsukamoto. Beautiful. Also starring Shinya Tsukamoto. Co-starring Obviously. Shinya Tsukamoto. Obviously. Now, what a mastermind. before we get into Body Hammer, we should introduce to anyone who didn't get to listen to last week's Patreon episode on Tetsuo the Iron Man, yeah, the first film, brief. 1989, uh, one year after Akira, which is pretty fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, which is just a 16 millimeter black and white uh, uh, like frenzy long. of scratching and scraping and screaming of uh, of steel and flesh and uh, very 
psychosexual and sexually repressed. I mean, we're talking about a movie that literally has a guy grow a giant power drill for a dick or a penis uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, kill, uh, accidentally kill his girlfriend with it. Uh, uh, and then turn into a giant penis with his rival. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, God, that movie's good. <laughs> it, it, it is just absolutely uh, unhinged uh, in, in terms of its, its brutal body horror and violence and also its, its, its horniness, its steel <laughs> steam and, 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 and flesh. Uh, lots of bodily fluids and machine fluids start to blur in like that kind of like yeah, you really e- don't expressionistic know what photography. Uh, it's just like, literally, it's like just straight... 60 minutes of just like completely delirious, unpleasant (laughs) descent into like perverse eroticism and industrial body horror. And, uh, eventually pure sorrow, uh, as opposed to Akira, pure sorrow about, about the future. Yeah. Basically just tear it all down. (laughs) The same idea of kind of like we can evolve into something different yeah. That humanity needs to transform. We can evolve transhuman. into something destructive and kill everything. <laughs> but yes, Tetsuo the Iron Man falls on the side of nihilism yes. that we can transform into something completely destructive and we can start a new sort of like post-apocalyptic vision of industrial cables and yeah, oil. It really is like the uh, ultimate origin of the ultimate supervillain. I mean, Shinya yeah. Sukamoto's character is literally the metal fetishist. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which is, oh man. so it's so metal. Yeah, what? so th- that movie is absolutely crazy, and we we went off uh, like mad on it on last yeah. week's bonus episode for patrons for everyone who got to listen to that. Uh, it was both uh, easy five for for Jamie yeah. and I on that one. No uh, but today we are going to be talking the sequel. Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer, which is his yeah. own quasi sequel, quasi yeah, reimagining. Like a, yeah, yeah. Which uh, maybe Perry, maybe you can walk us through uh, this one. Okay, so Tetsuo 2, you know, Tetsuo comes out. Um, it's one of many indie films that Shinya Tsukamoto made. It's his third feature or third full movie. He made like a featurette before and then a two hour movie when he was in high school. Uh, and it Gets pretty good at festival reception thanks to it plays in Italy and Jodorowsky's on the panel where it screens. He's like, this is the best movie. And then it wins best movie and from there it gets a cult following. Uh, and then Shinsuke was like, okay, I have money in notoriety now. I'm going to do this again. Uh, and I'm going to sort of make a, a different take on the ideas I captured in Tetsuo. So Tetsuo 2 is a sort of remake uh, about... Uh, a businessman uh, with a wife and child uh, who are being harassed by mysterious skinheads that are in like this weird Yukio Mishima homoerotic muscle cult run by <laughs> uh, Shinya Tsukamoto as the metal fetishist again and like a scientist who's experimenting on them. And they're pushing the limits of the human body. Uh, turn them into like superheroes basically with psychic abilities uh, that allow them to use like finger guns to actually shoot invisible bullets that make people blow up or (laughs) get arm cannons to grow or, you know, fuse with metal and just crazy stuff like that. And that's the basic setup. And our protagonist, you know, his, uh, his child is killed, or he accidentally kills his child and awakening his powers. Yeah, and what uh, a sequence too. Yeah, yeah. When 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 they are uh, sort of uh, seemingly sort of like mugged and then 
kidnapped by skinheads and seemingly uh, injected with the sort of experimental drug that they are testing the body with. The, the 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 father in Sukamoto's like typical kind of like this this very unhinged handheld photography style yeah, uh, yeah. which which is is very sort of like fever dreamy and and, and sweaty a little uh, bit disorienting but not in a way where you can't you know understand what's going on it's no just, it, it's very fast cutting like, and a lot of camera moves but yeah. in a way that just kind of gets your heart pounding right and gets you really yeah, right. really sort of absorbed in it yeah. um, but the, the sequence where he starts starts to sort of like regress into this like new being. And he has like this, these like weird images of like mm-hmm. a flash cut of like a dream of orange. And like, yeah. um, uh, one major difference we should mention is that this is in color. Yeah. Um, Always that, never. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that Sukamoto got sort of like an, an increased budget. And with that, he increased his scope, uh, and the, 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 the film quality that he was able to get. And he uses a lot of color, uh, and but that that scene where the uh, uh, he he kind of has like this weird nightmare sequence, mm-hmm. and then he wakes up, and the skinhead's like, "Oh yeah, I just threw your child off the building," and he's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> uh, he immediately takes his arm cannon and points it at the skinhead, yeah. fires, and next thing you know, the skinhead is just holding two little tiny hands that have been uh, chopped off of a body and uh, the skinhead himself is covered in just like mutilated chunks of flesh. Uh, The implication being that he didn't throw the child off the building. He instead hid him to the side and then used him as a human shield when the uh, businessman's uh, hand cannon went off. Yeah. So he just he his own exploded. father kill his son. Yeah, yeah. He just yeah. like pulverized his own child. Yeah, uh, and launched pieces of his flesh everywhere. <laughs> and this is all yeah, in like brutal. the first ten minutes yeah, this, of the movie. This is, yeah. the, this is how this guy becomes the, the mechanized monster. You know. Yeah. This isn't halfway through or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, because they, they – um, earlier one of the skinheads, you know, sneakily injected him with uh, serum and later they kidnap him, take him to the guy who made the serum who's simply known as the mad scientist. Uh, and they live in like a mix of like a refinery and some horrifying nightmare lab mm. um, where they're all constantly working out and developing their powers and the mad scientist – uh, is giving people injections that just allow them to become like metal psychic super powered people. Uh, and they kidnap their newest subject, which is the salary man. Uh, and they strap him to a chair and like give him the Ludovico technique to rewrite some of his memories, uh, and like psychically torture him, which causes guns to grow out of, him. <laughs> uh, which I mean, explaining this movie, like I spent the first one just sounds like a bunch of nonsense because yeah, we, it's a we, lot. We had of, to say that a lot on yeah, last week's show. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild bullshit because all the guns grow out and then they start firing off at targets as they set up. So they planned to awaken the gunpowder in him, but then the gunpowder gets too strong and he's able to escape his prison. Uh, and Shinya Tsukamoto's metal fetishist is like, all right, send our best guy to go track him down. Uh, and then they do, and there is a wildfire fight that's a lot more explosive than anything in the first Tetsuo. I mean, they clearly have a pyrotechnics budget now, 
uh, which is yeah, why I, I was I was a little surprised the first time I watched it at kind of like actually how action heavy it was. I was going to say yeah. this one does feel like much more of an action film than an actual like th- like the first one is pure horror for me, you know, just oh, just yeah. pure horror. This one's more of like a thriller, you know. It's got a, yeah. like, there's mixes of horror. There's a lot of elements. Well, because of it. The, 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 there's that, a lot of action. That same body horror and visual detail is still yeah. there, and that that same kind of like unhinged form is still there. But it's almost because he put a plot in. That it almost makes it kind well, of steer What is that. notably different, I would say, is just that uh, there's less, less of that, like, disgusting scratching and scraping. Oh, yeah. And, like, yeah. That, that, like, uncompromising eraserhead-ish sound design. Absolutely. In here, the score is more, like, kind of, like, propulsive, propulsive and energetic. Yes. It's more like, da, 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 da. Like, it's... Yeah, and, yeah. And, and uh, it, it, there's more, like, chase sequences and stuff happening. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and, and it's very cool, but it is notably different from the, yeah, the original film. the tone is film. completely different, yeah. Because yeah. It, it, it seemed like, because he had to keep it kind of small, he wanted to investigate that for, like, the deepest psychological horrors he could find. Right. And when exactly. he got to expand here, uh, he expands in a lot of cool ways, but uh, he he did kind of choose to expand in a way that you get a little bit more of like almost a, a a sense of fun out of it. Yeah. Uh, despite the fact that there's a lot of dread, but despite the fact that the makeup and stuff is still like just as on point for the most part. Oh yeah. That that's why I compared it to like Verhoeven in the opening, because while politically I wouldn't say there's like, uh, there's no satire elements to this, or at least less satire than something like a, a RoboCop, but it has that feeling of like, Verhoeven's excess with how many explosions there are and how many sick body modifications there are and just how much fun he's having with oh, the, yeah. and, and the like sci-fi the, ultraviolence. Like the, the absurdity of it. I mean, I, I, yeah. I lost my shit at the shot of all the junkyard gym bros. Yeah. Where, they're, where they're like half metal, half machine hunks, just like lifting just metal raw and, pieses of steel yeah, and metal sparks parts going everywhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and like in another movie, that's just like a bunch of like sweaty Arnold's like <laughs> all oiled yeah. up and like being like, look at it, look at it. Uh, but, yeah. it, but instead it's in this world of like flesh and steel uh, hybrid disgustingness. So, yeah, so yeah. like you still have that aspect, but the the tone here is notably different um, yeah. in in a cool way. Yeah, it's a without having like the the really gross black and white photography of the first one, or you know the there's still an industrial score, but it's much more like electro industrial than yeah. like harsh industrial. Yeah, um, it still does feel you know oppressive and grotty in its own ways and i think a lot of that does have to do with the uh, the production design and the really oh. good location work of just finding these really nasty scrapyards with like rotting yeah. metal everywhere yeah the, the 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 rust and grime like you can practically taste it while you're watching these movies oh, both of yeah. them yeah it's just it's it's filled with just uh those dark, like blacks and dark purples and blues where it just everything <laughs> feels like it's oozing you know just uh Soaking wet and sweaty and just gross. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, and, and and this one is o- overtly, I mean, even though the first one gets pretty damn destructive, yeah. this one ups the destructiveness. And, yeah, no. And, and I mean, there's even the line in it, destruction is all I need, yeah. is kind of yeah. like the main, 
the it kind of ends up being the entire movie too, like with the finale the, it, and everything. It's the thesis for sure. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, because uh, the metal fascist stages a coup on the scientists because the scientist, you know, wants to experiment, invent stuff, and uh, the metal fascist who. And when he says destruction is all I need, he may as well be standing in for Tsukamoto there. Like he's he's taking over the plot. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be no scientific advancement. There's just gonna be murder and destruction <laughs> yeah. and chaos. It's all going down. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and when they when they put him in the simulation and he's having like this weird sort of like a uh, dream where he's seeing his kid and he's getting that memory where he can go back and maybe save his kid, but he's yeah. being like weighed down by like his, his metal legs. Oh, yeah. And, and it yeah. looks like he's wearing parachute pants yeah. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's great effects though. I mean like, and, and they have the heavy, you know, the, the sounds of the heavy metal at every time he runs. So it's like clink, 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 clink. Yeah, and, 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 and it seems like they're trying to just accelerate his transformation. Right. And that's yeah. when like his weird, like alien looking gun cannon, like pop, Outside of his chest, yeah, like, like, a, like, like a face an alien eater. Thing at yeah. First. yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in in true Tetsuo fashion, it's like this very like phallic appendage yeah. that just grows Pops from out. his chest. And can I say yeah. the effects there were fantastic? Like yeah. the skin oh, yeah. and and like he, he's shirtless, so you can see like actual body parts, like the nipples, some body hair, yeah. and and whatever they use to make that effect is is very well done. It looked exactly like skin. <laughs> yeah. So it was yeah. it was really getting to me. <laughs> Saying that you mentioned like the the emotional trauma like powering him forward. because uh, right after he kills the uh the guy in the scrapyard, the big lieutenant, uh his wife realizes that when the skinheads try to inject him, uh they actually hit his pocket protector. Right. A, uh, so a every- hilarious moment where yeah. he's just like, oh shit, I wasn't even injected and yeah. yet I'm growing like weird <laughs> metallic objects out of myself. Yeah. So he's had this power all along and we slowly learn as the film goes on that it's powered by like intense emotions. Uh, that's awakening it more than like the, the science. Yeah. He, he used uh, like sheer willpower, which then, yeah. which then there's the some, metal fetishist cult is like real, really impressed by. And they're like, fuck yeah. yeah, we need to harness that motherfucker. There's some real irony then to when his transformation happens because at first, you know, it's, it's his son's uh, um, taken. So obviously yeah. that emotion would bring him to the point where he could shoot or whatever. And then, he uses those powers he just grew because of that emotion to kill his son, yeah. which would further his progression into his yeah. madness. So, like, there's some irony there. Well, at, at one point, this results in, like, a full-out, like, psychedelic creation of the universe sequence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where, like, there's, like, intense close-ups of, like, his flesh being pulled and clamped by metal and, like, the, just this, like, bizarre sort of, like, cellular imagery mm-hmm. uh, of, uh, of also uh, sort of, like, they, they incorporate incorporate the rust and the steel into it as well. Yeah. I I went frame by frame by through that sequence because I always love sub second editing and I especially love how Tsukamoto used it in his films. And I found that it's a mixture of like pictures of like planets, um close to metal, like cells and nature and rock and body parts and also like BDSM pinups. <laughs> like King. a lot of ones King. are just close ups <laughs> of like women in leather and like complex ties and like sex toys and stuff. Th- this guy uh, has the very, craziest parties. I yeah, guarantee. Yeah, it's, it's very sure. Shinya Tsukamoto. Uh, <laughs> and I mean that like, there are a few of those psychedelic explosions when he's reaching new levels of his power. And every single one of them is just so gorgeously constructed. Like I'm always impressed by it when I see it in this movie. 
They're so pretty and weird, and I love them. Yeah. Well, I'll say the one thing when I first watched this that I was a little disappointed by Mm. was the the lack of what I felt like was that, like, crazy unhinged horniness of the first one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because I was a little... Because this one, I mean, maybe it's, though, because it's focused on his family. You know what I mean? Like, in the first one, it's more of just, like, a boyfriend-girlfriend thing. And it's and it's very hypersexual, whereas this one is a family man. You know, he's he's established as having a son, so maybe they've died down the crazy sex. You know, <laughs> well, I'm a, my view on the first Tetsuo is a bit of a strange one, I guess. But I've always found the first Tetsuo to be like the world's bloodiest, like realizing your sexuality movie, uh, because he you know he he kills his wife with the drill penis, uh, and then he embraces the metal fetishist, and they merge into one giant penis. And the metal fetishist is clearly like, I've always read it as like the metal fetishist has like this obsession with him, and um, not to spoil too much, plug my own stuff. I'm worked on a piece about this, um, but I saw the first one as a guy discovering uh that he is attracted to uh another gender uh and that manifesting in a way that sort of literally rips his life apart and then rebuilds into something that i guess i'm in the minority in this but i think that's kind of beautiful i I think that (laughs) the end of tetsuo is the only time there's like a real clear non-dirty straightforward beauty in the compositions in the movie because at um, least he has a straightforward motive, you know what I mean? Yeah. Go destroy. <laughs> it's definitely less horrifying than the uh, the the drill murder, uh, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. because that sex was definitely incompatible at that point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, he has that. What was that line? Want a taste of my sewage, sewage pipe? pipe? Yeah. yeah. Oh, good God! Uh, one of the dirtiest uh, lines we've heard on the show for sure. Yeah. But this one. It's definitely less focused on that. Um, I think it still comes through with like the muscle cult. Yeah, because well, um, I was gonna yeah. say that the, there's definitely still like kind of like a like a gym bro yeah. culture going on there. Absolutely. And I will say that the horniness does come back for one of my absolute favorite parts of this entire movie, which is the flashback sequence. Oh, yeah, man, that shit is crazy. There where, is where, where where you go to where this and ability. A twist. Yeah, so that's fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's where this ability came from before, and it was from his father who was this very, who, you know, probably could have been a character in the first movie. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and his his father has really freaky sex with their mom, where it's hyper sweaty. They have tons of, like, beads of sweat dripping off them, and mm-hmm. he's just thrusting and thrusting, and he has to be holding a gun pointed somewhere on her body. Uh, sometimes it's caressing up and down her skin or it's pointed and, and yeah. attached to her head. Uh, it's this constant mix of sexuality uh, and, violence. and violence. It's yeah. just constant. And, I mean, there's one uh, brief bit where he does anal penetration with the gun. That's like, just my God. Oh, I didn't even yeah. remember. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm that, that happens. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's very a very similar to the sequence. first film where he is where anally he gets pe- penetrated uh, by a giant robot yeah. penis. And uh, that bit's really fascinating because part of why I find this movie so incredibly strange and charming is that bit is entirely like visually and plot wise a tribute to a weird Japanese fetish porn movie uh, called Flower and Snake. Dude, I literally did they did he basically what came first? The Tetsuo movie or tentacle porn? 
Uh, tentacle porn. Damn it. Uh, I was like, when I saw the, the flashback, <laughs> I was like, is this the small origins of tentacle porn? <laughs> yeah, but in, in both of the movies, he's playing with that imagery. But what I find that's a, wild that's is uh, in this, the flashback is there's this movie called Flower and Snake by uh, Masaru Konuma, which is a must watch for weird exploitation, which is a movie about a guy who in Japan... Uh, he he saw that a who's growing up at the end of World War II and like the American occupation, he saw an American soldier uh, sleeping with his mother, and then he picked up the soldier's gun and shot him, uh, and it's left him like he barely remembers it. It's a really repressed memory, and it's just left him all sorts of like sexually fucked up. So only through like pain and trauma can he reawaken that. Okay. Uh, and the way when the father is shot yeah, um, by the powers, uh, I, it is framed identically to how the soldier is shot in that movie. Right. And, and they, it's just and the wildest even, shit. Oh, don't they even have the, uh, there's some, I think there's some dialogue that explains that he, prior to the, the twist where we find out, you know, his brother and things like that. Um, it, it says that he has uh, no memory from eight years yeah. or below. So that's also, I guess, kind of a tribute yeah, to that a, film. Yeah, it's... That's cool. That's awesome. It's, it's pretty weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well... <laughs> but, I mean, to be expected from this guy, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I love it. They're, they're, they're very uh, uh, fetishistic father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Teaches them that they have uh, uh, th- this ability inside them. When, you're, when your will and your gun are as one, you will destroy the small animal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he, he, he kind of tries to teach them this, this kind of, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess it's this kind of like instinctual Does he view it as violence. a strength, do you think? Like it's almost like a, a thing that'll make them strong. Well, yeah, but but, but it's also kind of implied that it's like organic, that it's sure, like yeah. he's he's conditioning them into it, but it's ultimately but it's something that's like, yeah. that, that, that's like something instinctual. The same way sure. that you are sexually attracted, you can commit this kind of violence, violence right. and, and, you, and, this kind of, and, and you can have this kind of power. And you can put them together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> apparently. But, but the father, I don't think, knew that uh, when he accidentally shot the mother during sex, that yeah. the sons would be there to watch it and that they would use these newfound gun cannons, hand yeah, cannons. Like, this is what you taught us, Dad. Yeah, to fuck <laughs> yeah. up their own father. And then, of Good course, Lord. they fucking repress all that shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Real heavy. And thus begins the beginning of this film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's a wild flashback. There's nothing Tsukamoto's done since that's been quite like it. Um, and it's definitely one of the best parts of the whole movie. And one of the best parts of his filmography, in my opinion, because it just goes for it. Yeah, the uh, another, something that actually kind of reminded me of it. Have you? I don't think you have, Josh. Uh, have you seen, um, oh, what's it called? Snake of June? Day Snake of yeah, June? Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. But it has like a moment where it, it, it kind of has similar uh, shots to this, where where it's showing a woman and she's being photographed and she's almost getting more into it as it's going. And she, it's it's a nude photograph. It's yeah. it's a very sexual heavy f- uh, film, much like all of his films seem to be. Yeah. Uh, and it has that same kind of style where it's like very you know the cameras 
right in her face and it's sporadic and it's and it's quick cuts but it's still uh you know showing this this tense sexuality and uh so i mean it seems like even 10 years later he hasn't hasn't uh gone away from that at all <laughs> yeah no he 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 eventually went away from cyberpunk like the Tetsuo yeah. movies uh, were of that and then like um Hiroko the Goblin, like his only straightforward horror movies before he went away to other genres. Mm. But he definitely still is the same guy with the same thematic occupations. <laughs> yeah. The the finale of the movie is just like a big explosion of special effects and chaos and it's wild and yeah. excessive and impossible to describe and you know, it's the perfect ending for this movie. Oh yeah. What I will say is I, I really enjoyed the kind of sporadic nature of it, but I found it to be in parts, the, the final battle I'm talking about, mm-hmm. I found mm-hmm. it to be in parts a little bit hard to comprehend. There were certain shots that I was I, I was getting a little disoriented, if I could be honest. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys felt that at all, but uh, I, I felt like at times I wasn't quite sure what where characters were placed and like, yeah, yeah. There, there were things, like I got who was who, it was just movements and placing I was a little. I got a little disoriented. I don't know if you guys felt that at all. Maybe it was just me, but I felt a bit of that the first time around. But okay. on rewatch, less so. Okay. Yeah, this is my first. Uh, my first watch, so that might be the case. Perry, if you maybe just it, want to walk us through the uh, the, the the finale and the ending. Uh, yeah. Real uh, real quick, and then maybe we'll angle towards the reductive rating round on this one. Yeah, good. because after the flashback the protagonist remembers his past and he realizes why his brother was doing this. And it's a, a form of them reconnecting, uh, which becomes <laughs> literal when they again, begin to fuse into one giant rotting piece of metal. Uh, and the, the salary man's wife is there. Uh, and he, he begs her to uh, shoot him with, this special gun the mad scientist created that'll make him rust and die. Rust uh, and die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she refuses. Uh, and then the the metal fusion, all the skinheads come to it and they become a giant tank. Uh, and the Amazing. tank rolls out to blow up Tokyo. While the wife rides it. Yeah. Which is uh, the best detail for me is that the <laughs> wife is like, you know what? I'm still sticking with my hubby. You know yeah. what I mean? Like love, yeah. love throughout the ages. Even, baby. even as part of a metal fetishist cult that tank. destroys the entire city. <laughs> yeah. And as they roll out and, uh, bring upon some sort of presumable apocalypse, uh, it then shows a brief memory or vision of when the family was, you know, one unit with a alive child, uh, marveling at the, the peacefulness of the, of the city. Destroyed then cue city. the music. Yeah. Amazing. Cue the music, roll credits, Tetsuo 2. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So damn good. Sukumoto just like seriously a madman. <laughs> oh yeah, he's he's the GOAT. I I love all his movies. This is like this is up there for me in terms of because Tetsuo one is like tied with the wild bunch for my just favorite movie full stop uh but in terms of his like he's just made so many great ones it's it's unfair yeah 
too good, Sukamoto. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we might enter the reductive rating round on this one. For me, this was a pretty damn high four. Um, mm. I had a really, really great uh, time with it. Um, I would just say that, uh, I mean, because Tetsuo the Iron Man got like such an easy five for me. The only thing that really held me back, I would say, was just kind of um, shit. I don't even know. Yeah, it was. I, I feel, it, it was. It, it was mostly kind of just a feeling. It yeah. was kind of like I feel like almost the 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 just the extra source of the plotting. Just because like the first one has almost none. It's just a completely in your face yeah. horrific body horror movie. This one with the plotting, I'm not gonna. It doesn't slow it down. I guess it just adds a little extra weight to it. You know. Yeah. And maybe that's what kind of gets you to that. That thing, because I'm I'm on the same page yeah. as you in that regard. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I would just say that the the, the pivot to really slightly good, bigger budget, a little bit more plotting, a little bit more sort of like propulsive actiony uh, uh, tone. While I think it's all cool and kind of like what I kind of hope for in a sequel. Yeah, that a yeah. movie kind of like changes itself up a little bit, especially if it's going to be like a reimagining too, right? Yeah, don't want to see this. But same I, but I gotta say, I I did miss some of that just like cringe-inducing yeah. scraping sound design. Yeah. And like yeah, that, too. just like really inky photography and stuff. Yep. Um, and I, and I, I definitely felt myself kind of being like less, uh, le- less assaulted by the film and more kind of like on its wavelength being like, wow, this is fun. Yeah. Uh, which is just a completely different experience, but still, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first it, one does feel like an all out assault. It on is, your it brain. is very much still a <laughs> Sukumoto movie in terms of like the uh, amazing production design of, 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 of all of this, Uh, all of these amazing scrapyard locations Mm -hmm. and uh, the the makeup, uh, especially the introduction of the, the, the cannons, these like metal cannons that are popping out of bodies. And I mean, even the introduction of the tank itself. And uh, I got, I got to say the, the, the stuff that read like horror to me here, when it does go like that, like uh, the, the more psychedelic, uh, nightmare sequences, um, and uh, especially when they result in a lack of control, where you uh, maybe explode your own child, uh, <laughs> w- w- was enough to get me. Uh, and and uh, I especially again love that how he reintroduces the sweaty, sticky horniness in the flashback <laughs> sequence with the father who loves having sex with guns, with guns, yeah. uh, w- which results in children that grow guns out of their bodies. <laughs> As uh, it does. So absolutely uh, phenomenal on that front. Uh, but yeah, so a really solid high four for me. Nice. Uh, I'm gonna um, give the same. I think uh, it's it's really for the same reasons. I just I miss the kind of the the grit and 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 scraping of of the sound design that comes from the first one. Uh, also, just having it to be such a sporadic. Uh, you know, you just get tossed into the first one. The second one, you know, this second one, it, it lets you have a bit of a, a couple you, moments. You, you, you come in. into it with the baggage of knowing <laughs> that the first one exists. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. which, to be fair, is is harmful to any movie. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, still though, this is an extremely strong film. The the, the makeup is just batshit crazy and awesome just like the first one but now they've got you know uh colors to it and and they've added it seems more like i don't know it, it almost seems like these guys have uh more until the end when it just gets crazy but at first it seems like they have a, a bit more of a focus on what their mechanized thing is you know a guy has like a, a power arm or something like that <laughs> where they can almost use it as a tool whereas the first one 
it's just like taking over him and he doesn't even know what to do with this giant yeah, drill it, it, penis. It, it, it's more like that Akira, <laughs> like losing control. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's still uh, just an absolute batshit crazy film as, as is tradition with this guy. And uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a high four. Um, this one is a five for me, nice. uh, with the, with the caveat that Tetsuo one is a six out of five, uh, <laughs> because that's how it goes. Um, Tetsuo two is a very different movie, but I think it still captures a lot of what I really love about Tetsuo one while going its own way. I especially loved the weird evolution of the metal fascist character, uh, yeah. where he feels very much the same kind of person as he was the first movie, but not as like manic. But what I especially love is that in the first movie, he has this obsession over like the uh, the marriage of like the sacred like peak male form body and like the warships <laughs> and like the profane of like the metal that he sticks in his leg at the opening. Uh, and I love how that manifests with instead of him having like photos of athletes taped around his apartment, like in the first one, he just has like a, a gang of bodybuilders that <laughs> worship him. Uh, and it's just this. It's that weird it touch enough. of homoeroticism that I always love to see in crazy genre movies. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, I don't know, it's a movie that leaves me feeling really happy uh, and excited and inspired every time I see it. And I, I just love it. And I want to leave uh, y'all with an anecdote about this movie Beautiful. that I found hilarious. Uh, in the book Iron Man, the cinema Shinyatsu Komodo, which is you know a book about him, there's lots of stuff that's him like relaying stories to the writer, which are being printed, and he's remembering Tetsuo Two doing the festival circuit, and it played in Europe a lot. And he remembered in France, uh, this was like the fifth or sixth, I think, uh, screening he'd have of Tetsuo Two uh, in Europe, and there were lots of walkouts before. And he was really shocked because in Japan and at least Japanese festivals, uh, no one would walk out even if they didn't like the movie. So he figured he must be doing something wrong. <laughs> uh, and he was explained to, in a very on-brand move from this filmmaker, uh, a very young Gaspar Noé came up to him and said, if people walk out of your movie, that means you're doing a good thing. Fuck yeah, uh, Gaspar. <laughs> and I always found that really funny That's because, awesome. of course, that would be him. Who goes and says that's good if you walk out your movie? Yeah, Gasper. Yeah, for real. <laughs> oh, that, that's so funny because uh, we, we actually have a bonus transmission where we're going to be talking about Gasper Noe yeah. coming up yeah. on Patreon soon. Yeah, that's so. hilarious. Wow, that's awesome. I'm excited to hear it. All right. Well, I think that that will wrap it up for this week's episode. That was Akira 1988 and Tetsuo Body Hammer so 1992. Good. Thanks for bringing these films, Perry. Perry, this is the part of the show where if you've got anything to plug, you can do it here. Yeah, um, uh, I have a Twitter at, at Perry underscore Ruh, that's R-U-H. Um, I'm working on my first feature, Blank Tape, which will probably have some sort of crowdfunding campaign uh, in the summer to just finish some effect shots. Um, and I have an article up on the webzine Film and Fishnets uh, about uh, this director, Hisayasu Sato, and three of his incredibly strange gay films so if you want to hear more weird sweaty horny underground japanese movies uh that's the place for it awesome <laughs> sweet well we can definitely recommend heading over there uh for our listeners in 
one week's time. You guys have a Patreon bonus episode coming up. As the course of this show has gone, I've just lost my voice, <laughs> as you can tell. I now sound <laughs> hey, like I've been a smoker the, uh, for like 30 years. Uh, but... <laughs> We are going to be taking on the Polizio Tetsuki genre. Yeah. For I, 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 this episode was requested very, very early on. I think one of our first patrons requested this. Yeah. Um, the manly men. Of the- yes. So we are going to be doing <laughs> "Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man." That's right. 1976. <laughs> Classic. Uh, such a good time. And we are going to be pairing it with Shoot First, Die Later, 1974. <laughs> Another great title. Both films written by Fernando DeLeo. Uh, and one of them directed by Fernando and the other one directed by cannibal Holocaust filmmaker, uh, Gerardo. Oh, f- fuck. Uh, Ruggiero Diodato. That's, That's the, the one. one. <laughs> Not Gerardo. I knew it was Italian though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't wait to pronounce all those names next week. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, but in two weeks time for free listeners, we're going to be back with a guest and we are going to be talking Clint Eastwood, uh, mm. Uh, for the first film, anyway, we're going to be talking Clint Eastwood's Firefox, uh, yep. which I believe uh-huh. is 1982. And nice. it, it is a film, It is, I, I guess it's called a techno thriller, where oh. it t- takes place during the Cold War, where he plays some sort of like stealth pilot or something. Okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, the guest hilariously has paired it with a movie that I let him break the rules for, the 2005 movie Stealth. <laughs> is, oh my this, God. Isn't this one you told me that's like really entertaining, but pretty bad? That's, pretty that's damn bad. That's the one where the stealth fighter downloads every song that's ever existed. Yes. Well, I, don't, I don't know the context of that, but that sounds like it could be really <laughs> it, funny. It, it, it is about they put AI into a stealth fighter jet and then it, 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 it got sentient and decides to start doing its own shit. So it starts downloading Metallica. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, so we great. are doing a stealth fighter jet double feature next week <laughs> or two weeks from now. Uh, so that's, that's going to be a lot of fun, I yeah. imagine. So that's, that's what you can thing. expect. You can break the rules if you come on and bring something hilarious like that. <laughs> uh, as always, guys, thanks so much for listening. That's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it.